Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Well, this is the last Advent one. We're going to do love Mm -hmm. uh, tonight. And so I'm going to ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. And that is a kind of a a quintessential Christmas passage. Pastor Daniel, I think, spoke on it a couple yeah, Wednesday in November uh, as we kind of headed into this season. But in Philippians chapter 2, we've got a, a description of God's love to us in Jesus Christ. And so that's where we'll be this evening. And um, we've seen so far how Jesus is our hope and peace and joy. And tonight we're going to look at how he is love to us in his coming, especially in his first coming, what we're focusing on at Christmas and uh, we'll look at the first 11 verses. There's plenty of places in the Bible that talk about the love of mm-hmm. God through Jesus Christ. Yeah. It describes how it's the perfect example of what God's love toward us is. Yeah. Uh, can you think of any verses in, in the Bible that talk about God's love to us? You don't have to have chapter and verse or anything like that. Just Hey, you got yeah. kind of hard to beat. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Shall not perish, but have what, Isabella? The everlasting, everlasting life. That's everlasting God's love life. to us. I knew she knew that one. Love yeah, First Corinthians 13 is mm-hmm. the perfect description of God's love toward us. And uh, I think of Romans 5, 8. I know that's one of Tracy Smith's favorite verses. Mm-hmm. When God commends, he shows his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. Anybody else? The first John 3 about... Yeah. Yep. They were to behold. That's behold. what we're doing here tonight. Yep. We're going to be beholding. We're going to be looking at the yep. behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. That we should yep. be called the sons of God. Yeah, I like those. Adoption. That, that adoption aspect of our salvation. Mm-hmm. Any others? Well, we got one here in Philippians 2. Uh, so when I think of Advent, you know, our theological term for Christmas, um, Christ's first coming, I, I, thought, I thought that Philippians 2, 1 through 11 might be the best passage where we see the love of Jesus in Advent and uh, how that love should flow through us toward others. I'll have Tommy lead us in reading it, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. All right, it says there, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, so I think especially in, in verses 5 through 11, we've got a definite example of Christ's love, and we'll get there uh, eventually. But it, it begins talking about the love of God to us in Jesus Christ, really mm-hmm. in the first verse, and, and we're told about the effect of Christ's love. Uh, what, what is experiencing the love of God through Jesus Christ? What's it like? Well, um, God has the Apostle Paul communicate to Christians here in the church of Philippi uh, four different effects here in verse 1 mm-hmm. uh, of you and I experiencing the love of Jesus Christ. First of all, it says that we have consolation uh, in Christ here in the King James. And that Greek word can also be translated encouragement. Mm-hmm. And so maybe if you have a different version, that might, might be what it says. Um, so what do you think of when you hear that word, encouragement? What's a synonym for it? Hope. Hope. Yeah. Being built up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Edification. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Advocation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think all of those things. But I want you to think, like, what, what word is in that word? Encouragement. Courage. courage. Yeah, courage mm-hmm. is in there. And, and that's something we need as sinners. Um, we have courage because we've been forgiven mm-hmm. uh, of sins by our faith in Christ. It, sins and guilt that without being forgiven, they would lead us to fear God, to kind of do what Adam and Eve did, that we'd hide from God. We would re- Normal response would be to run mm-hmm. from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the love of Jesus Christ, it encourages us. It gives us courage because we know God's promise uh, in Romans eight twenty eight that uh, all things, uh, for those who, are, who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, all things work together for our good. And God later tells us in that same chapter, we'll look at that a little later tonight, that there's nothing that can separate us from his love. That's a very encouraging thing, right? That yeah. we can never be separated from the love of God to us in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And look at the second thing there. So we have consolation or encouragement in Christ. It says, if any comfort of love. And so here, now we're finally talking about love. And whose love is it talking about? God's love for us. God's love to us in Jesus Christ, specifically in this passage. So Christ's love for us. It's not just any, like, we're not comforted just by love, like it's just out there, this ambiguous, non-definable emotion. It's specific. You're talking about Jesus' love Mm -hmm. to us, and we're comforted uh, by it. And if I look down at the bottom of my Bible, it has a little end note there. It says, this word comfort means Consolation, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of what the first thing was, meaning encouragement. But so it's different than what we just covered. But think about the comfort that's experienced by us because of the love of Jesus. How, how is God's love to you in Jesus? How is it comforting to you? It never fails. That's what it says in First John. Like we love him because he first loved us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Peace. There is a great peace knowing that you're loved by, by God. Yeah, mm-hmm. we are never alone. Yeah, he, he took our punishment in our place. That's all those things, very comforting. Uh, and then there's a third effect in our experience of Christ's love. It says fellowship of, of the Spirit. Uh, and that word fellowship means a partnership. So it's pretty awesome to, to think and to know that uh, you have the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ indwelling you. 
as a Christian, that you, uh, he wants to, to fill us. Mm-hmm. A very encouraging, comforting thing. Uh, one of his ministries is help us to, uh, to help us understand God's Word. Uh, it's called illumination. The Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God to us um, and reveals what God uh, wants to teach us in it and where he, the Holy Spirit reminds us of the love that God has for us according to God's Word. And I think that fellowship of the Spirit, uh, it also communicates the love of Jesus to us with others who have that fellowship of the Spirit. So mm-hmm. like here at church in this community of faith, uh, we're reminded of God's love, and we remind each other of God's love, and I, I hope we're conduits of, of Christ's love to each other. There's one more effect uh, of Christ's love to us that's listed here. King James Version says, bowels and mercies. Mm-hmm. And so I know most modern translations, they use the word tenderness instead of bowels. Mm-hmm. Sometimes my bowels are tender. Right? <laughs> when you go to the doctor, they'll be like, oh, does that hurt? Is that a little tender? Right? Um, but that's what it means, tenderness or, or compassion. And, and that God is full of mercy. And um, I, I think back to one of my favorite passages. I know Krista loves this one too. In Isaiah 42, 3, it's talking about what Jesus is going to be like. Uh, you know, back, this is hundreds of years before Jesus would come. And God promises what, what the Messiah would be like and how he would be loving. And it says this in Isaiah 42, 3, a, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench. And so kind of picture that. I don't know if you, like in a little bit, we'll probably blow out those candles. I don't know if we'll pinch them, right? But that's the idea, like this candle that's just hanging on, got one little spark. I mean, God's so tender. He's so compassionate that, and there are times, I don't know about you, but there's times when I feel like, like I'm just a spark. Like that's all I got left is this mm-hmm. little spark. And he, he will not quench that. He, instead, he will fan it into flames. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bruised reed, he, he won't break. Uh, out by us, we have a game lands that Chris and I like to go uh, hiking at. And they've got cattails everywhere. And you just think about like one of those cattails that's, the reed has got bent and it's, uh, hanging on there, and, and the tender, compassionate love God has for us in Jesus Christ is, is like that. He's not going to snap that off. You know, he'll he'll yeah. tenderly and compassionately take care of us. Yeah, and it's too, like, really the depth, too, because, like, your bowels are deep in yeah. your body, you know? So, yeah. I mean, there's a depth of mercy, there's a depth of love, a depth of comfort in Christ that we have. Uh, in those things as well. So using that word. I think it's a good you know, description. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, they've thought this, we call it the heart, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, you're in my heart when we want to tell someone we love them. Yeah. Well, back then, they used, oh, they went a little lower. A little, yeah. You know. And, you know, when I first asked Krista to be my girlfriend or whatever and go on a date, I get butterflies in my stomach, right? Yeah. And that's, uh, so it's okay. It's like the seat of emotions. And sometimes yeah. like, I don't know, maybe you've ever had great sorrow mm-hmm. losing a loved one. You feel it in your stomach? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but that's the kind of this deep emotion like you're talking right. about. That's what Jesus has for us. It's not any superficial love that fails or that he'll remove from us. It's, it's a deep-seated emotion we can count on, like you all said. Um, And God reminds us that in that verse uh, in Isaiah 42 and here in verse 1 of Philippians, what the effects of Christ's love are for us. It's tenderness and mercy, and we ought to be glad for that. Now, we who do, we, we, it's just describing here what we experience as Christians from Jesus Christ. That's what verse 1 is doing. Um, So what does that mean for us? Are are we just to be this reservoir of God's love? Like, um, like we receive it, 
we experience it. We enjoy it. Of course, we've all said that, testified to that here mm-hmm. tonight. And, and that's it? Like we're the end of Christ's love? Like, no. just stops there? No, of mm-hmm. course not. We're to be no. uh, conduits. If we have mm-hmm. experienced and do experience the love of God to us in Jesus Christ, there's a point in that. Yeah. And um, like, it's not bad to be a reservoir, but only so that you can pipe it out right. toward others. Yeah. And that old hymn, Channels Only. Channels Only. Channels that's only. what I was talking Blessed about. Blessed Master. But with all yeah. Them. Yeah. And, um, and so th- that's what we're exhorted to do, mm-hmm. uh, the exhortation in Christ's love in verses 2 through 5. To do that, we need to be like-minded. That's what it tells us um, then in verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy, since you know Christ's love in all these very real and specific ways. In verse mm-hmm. 1, God says through Paul, Fulfill ye my joy, Christians, that you be like-minded, mm-hmm. having the same love. Well, what again? What love? The love of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, being of one accord, uh, of one mind. That's what yeah. it means to be like-minded. Yeah, and I always thought it was really interesting that it says if, because yeah. those things are there. Yeah. There are those things in Christ. We just talked about that. And really, I had a, a person tell me one time, you should kind of read it like it's the word since. Since. Since yeah. these things are true about Christ, fulfill my joy and have the same love for one another that Christ has. Yeah, the word that's translated if is elsewhere in Scripture. It's translated since. Mm -hmm. So since all these things are true about your experience of Christ's love, then this is what you should do. Mm -hmm. Um, Be like-minded. Yeah. Yeah, because of Christ's love for us. Mm -hmm. And um, so we need to be like-minded. What does it mean? Well, yeah, we need to be like-minded with each other. That's definitely one of the applications here. But only because all of us are like-minded with Jesus. Right. Like, if we try to be unified in mind outside of that, good luck. Because, like, I mean, even a married yeah. couple, I don't think you can be like-minded. You can, right. you know, the longer you live together. But you're yeah. two different people with two different minds. And mm-hmm. so you put that in a church, and it's going to be, you know, however many people. Right. Uh, but if we all have the mind of Christ, right. but then we will be all like-minded. And that's yeah. what he exhorts us to. Um, it, it, the only way for us to all be unified and in one accord, like it tells us to here, mm-hmm. the only way for us all to be like-minded is if we all have a mind like Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. And, and so let me jump ahead to verses here. Isn't that what God's exhorting us to do in verse 5? Let this mind be in you. Who, what mind? The mind of Christ mind Jesus. Christ. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which was also in Christ Jesus. So what happens when we don't have uh, Christ's mind? As a follower of Jesus, what happens when a bunch of us have our own mind or when that comes and trumps the Christ-like mind we're supposed to have? Well, look at verse 3. That's what happens. Uh, Strife Mm -hmm. and vain glory. Yep. And the first one listed there, that's the effect or the action. The second one is the the cause. Mm -hmm. When you have vain glory, when you're full of pride, when you're, you know, more concerned about what you want, you're going to have strife. That's just going to happen. And and so it's the complete opposite of what God is exhorting us who have experienced uh, the effects of Christ's love to do. It's a complete opposite of of a Christ-like love coming from a Christ-like mind. And so since that's the origin, that's what we need to have. That's kind of the focus in verses 2 and 3. Have the mind of Jesus Christ if you want to love like Christ. Um, Since that's the origin, what is a Christ-like mind? What does that mean? Well, God tells us right here. Uh, in verse 3, lowliness of, mm. of mind. That's a Christ-like mind. It, uh, yeah. A Christ-like mind is when Christians esteem others better than themselves. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. verse 5. It's when Jesus' followers look every man not on his own things, but also on the things of others. Yeah, it's not, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Yeah, putting <laughs> others first. Like right. the old song, we, sang, we talked about this when we did the joy thing a couple of weeks ago, but Jesus and others and you. That yeah. should be the order of what we're concerned about. Our, our priorities yeah. should always be first Jesus. And and others, like, and I don't even know if, like, I don't like the list. We talked about this in our, our marriage Sunday school class this summer. But, like, it shouldn't be, like, first, second, third. If you keep Jesus at the center, yep. everything's going to radiate out mm-hmm. correctly yep. to others then and then and to you. Um, so we're told what a Christ-like mind is here. It's when we're lowly in mind. You know, we were going through the book of Acts. Um, just finished that up on Sunday mornings uh, a couple weeks ago, a month ago or so, and we saw exactly what that looks like when the church, I mean, right after the church was born in Acts 2, uh, Peter preaches, all these people get saved, the church of Christ really comes into being, and, um, and then if you remember, like, so there's thousands of people that came to Pentecost that got saved, they were from all over the world, and they didn't necessarily want to go home just yet, because they were learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and mm-hmm. getting discipled and things like that. But at the same time, like a lot of them, they weren't planning on an extended vacation. And so there were some needs that they had. Right. And we were told there in Acts 2.45 what, what these Christians did. It says they sold their possessions and goods and then parted them to all men as every man had need. Mm-hmm. I mean, what an example of love. Yeah. That was the testimony of the the mm-hmm. early church, the first Christians, uh, there was a uh, kind of an early church father, lead, leader in the church, and he's also a historian. His name was Tertullian, and, and he talks about, he writes about how uh, other people in that culture were so shocked at that, mm-hmm. the love that the Christians had for each other. In fact, they, they said that, look at the love they have mm-hmm. for each other. Like they were just, because it's so countercultural, so... Yeah. Um, abnormal mm-hmm. in this world yep. that for people to, to do that, to love each other that way. Yeah. Now, what allowed them to do that? What motivated them? They had the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. And they had the Christ-like mind, and it allowed them to sacrificially love like Jesus Christ. And so this is a way of thinking and viewing the world that God exhorts here in these verses, verses 1 through 5. He's exhorting Christians, this is what you're to do. You're to have the mind of Christ so that you can love others like Jesus loves you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we're told in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, in y'all, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so if you're a Christian, and what does Christian mean? Little Christ. It means you're like a small, imperfect example of Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, you're to follow him this way. Mm-hmm. And thinking like him, so you can live like him, and so you can love like him, and uh, have this mind. And so let's look at this mind, because that's what it says. Let this mind be in you, and then we get a description of it uh, again in, in the verses 6 through 8. Um, the evidence of Christ's love. And so here's Christmas, verses mm-hmm. 6 through 8. Th- this is yep. what Advent's all about, the incarnation. Um, it's, it's given here as like the greatest evidence of Jesus' love for us. Now, I think we could argue probably the cross, but you can't have a cross without Bethlehem, right? Right. I mean, that's where the road to Calvary started in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. And... Um, as just like in the first few verses of, of John's gospel and also in Colossians and in Hebrews, um, we're reminded that Jesus didn't begin in Bethlehem. Right. Um, he, he existed before that. Mm. 
uh, in the same form as God. That's what verse 6 says. Who being in the form of God, mm-hmm. talking about Jesus, he thought it not robbery to be equal uh, with God. And the Greek word for form here is, is morphe. It means an outward expression of uh, uh, essential inner substance. Yep. Very important. There's, there's a lot of theology and doctrine in this, like really important theology and doctrine really, yeah. in this mm-hmm. passage. Uh, when it says Jesus was in the form or morphe of God, it, it was saying Jesus is God. Right. He's divine. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not God the Father. Mm-hmm. He's not God the Holy Spirit. Right. But he's in God the Father, and the Holy Spirit is in God the Father, and the Holy Spirit is in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. They're different, but they're one God. Does your brain hurt? Yeah, okay, it should. Yeah. Like, but that's what the Bible teaches. That's what it is, right? yeah. And it's important. And it's, it's expressed. It I really like John chapter 1. Yeah. Expresses the same idea as well. So, you know, just, but it's an important doctrine. It's a really important it is. doctrine. If, if he's going to be our Savior. Right. Uh, we have to yeah. understand that Jesus wasn't just a man. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he was, he is God mm-hmm. and he existed before Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. Um, and our brain's going to hurt some more as we go through this. Um, and so because he was in the form of God, because he is God, well, of course, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, as the King James puts it. I, I like our, our Southern Baptist Bible, Holman Christian Standard or Christian Standard. Uh, it says, he did not consider equality with God as something to use to his own advantage or something to be exploited. Right. Now, instead, he did something very different, is mm-hmm. what these verses tell us. Look at verse 7. It says, he made himself of no reputation. This is the evidence of, of Jesus' love for us. He made himself of no reputation, and he took upon himself the form. We got that word, same word again, the form of a servant, and then he was made in the likeness of men. And so the theological term for this is Christ's incarnation, mm-hmm. uh, God incarnate, God in human flesh. Right. Uh, and, or we might call it his condescension because he came from heaven to earth um, and not just came down like directionally, but he was born as a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a condescension. He, he came to live like one of us, to, to go through the very same things we do. That's right. Yeah. And... Um, so let's consider that phrase, made himself of no reputation. And the Greek word for that is, is kenosis. And it's, it's an important foundation of Christian doctrine. Um, and kenosis means the emptying of Christ. Mm-hmm. Made himself of no reputation. It means Jesus emptied himself. Well, what did he empty himself of? Some people say, well, he emptied himself of being God. So he emptied himself of divinity. No, he didn't do that. Right, no. No, mm-hmm. uh, he didn't do that. No way. Uh, I like John MacArthur. He gives kind of a blue collar, like uh, uh, a definition we can understand, mm-hmm. right? He says, um, what it's talking about here is during his time on earth, Jesus voluntary, voluntarily limited the display of some of his divine attributes some of the time. Mm-hmm. That's what it's talking about. He, he made himself a no reputation. He emptied himself when he came down here. Can you think of ways that that's true? That what God says here, like, think of parts of the life of Jesus. How did, he, how did he, during his time on earth, limit the use of or the display of some of his divine attributes some of the time? Yeah, I mean, when I think God is sorrowful, but yeah, he cried like we cry. Mm-hmm. Did he suffer pain? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thirst and hunger. Yeah, those mm-hmm. are all good ones. Yeah. Um, doubt. Doubt. Yeah, and um, I think you're deprived of something first. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. It, it, um, I mean, he, he, he emptied himself of his heavenly glory. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's hard for us because we don't really have a, a, a super descriptive in God's word a listing of what Jesus was like before Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. All right, we know that he created everything. It says that in Colossians and in Hebrews. Um, so he was involved in creation, but we don't have like a really descriptive, like what, what was Jesus like in eternity past mm-hmm. when he was with God in heaven? But we know that he had glory up there mm-hmm. because when Jesus prayed uh, in John 17, mm-hmm. he prays to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, this long prayer. And one of the things he asks for is he's like, after I die and I'm risen again, receive mm-hmm. me back up to heaven where I'll know again the glory we had before I came back down. Mm-hmm. And down here, came down mm-hmm. here. And so, I mean, he, he emptied himself of some of heaven's glory. But there's right. hymns like that, right? Mm-hmm. Out of the yeah. ivory palaces mm-hmm. into a world yeah. of woe. And it's important to know those things and, and realize that because it, this is something that's twisted by cults a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the danger of it, and certain cults will twist it, because uh, it, it's, it's, that, it's that God is, Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. He added to himself yeah. human flesh. He didn't lose any of his divinity. The union, the hypersthetic union, yeah. both together. He didn't lose anything, but he voluntarily, like John MacArthur said, that is a good definition. Voluntary limited, limited the display the of it. And right, the, the display of it at certain times, yeah. And I mean, I think even his omniscience, I mean, didn't he say that in Matthew 24? I don't know that day and hour. No man knows it but God. Like, so I don't know that he doesn't know it right now when he's mm-hmm. back up in heaven. Yeah. Uh, but while he was here on earth, now, he, did he also have some omniscience while he was here on earth? Mm-hmm. Some of the times? Yeah. Yeah. You're like, you're da- go home. Your daughter's well. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. you know, he knew uh, who touched certain, me. Yeah, and he knew who, who touched, touched her. Right. And, like, uh, the one I was thinking of just then was... Um, when it says that he knew that some of the people were not following him for the right reason. Right. Like he didn't commit himself to them because he knew they were He knew following. what the Pharisees were thinking. Right. Like, why do you think thinking. evil in your hearts yep. right now? Mm, so, I mean, yeah. he had some, but there were some times when, like Matthew 24, when he said, no man knows the day or the hour, not even me, not only my father in heaven. Um, so there was voluntary. Brenda, did you have an example? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's what he did. This emptying yep. of himself. Um, and yep. here's one, like, I mean, I just, I think it's good to ponder on. But all right, so Colossians 1, 16 and 17, they tell us that Jesus created, by him all things were created that are in heaven and earth, and um, that he's before all things. So he's the creator and he's in charge of all things. It says, and by him all things exist. And right. we've watched that video before of like that human a protein called laminin that's like chemically it's in the shape of a cross literally all things hold together like what's keeping your cells together is the word of christ right now yeah. what's keeping jupiter in its orbit is the word of christ so it tells us yep. in hebrews yep. uh, chapter one he created mm-hmm. everything by the word of his power and he upholds everything yep. by the word of his power but can you think in this emptying of himself where was jesus for nine months he was in mary's womb right yeah I mean, the creator of the universe for nine months. Now, I don't remember anything when I was in the womb. Does anybody here remember anything when you were in there? Like, I mean, it kind of we were unconscious, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Like they say, you can play music and maybe your kid will be a piano player or something, right? Yeah, they, they recognize, you yeah. Put the speakers up there. I don't know. I know I didn't want to come out. I was like a month late. I had everything <laughs> I needed in there, so I figured why. Um, but 
But I mean, he was in the womb, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the one holding everything in this world together by the mm. word of his power for nine months was a baby, for four years, three years was an infant. I even think about when he was in the grave for three days. Like the one who upholds everything by the word. It's amazing the world didn't unravel. Yeah. Like I, now I suppose God, maybe the father took mm. part of that, you know, responsibility over during those times. But I mean, yeah. it's just, I think it's a good portrayal of how he made himself of no reputation. This yep. Greek word kenosis or in modern translations, he emptied himself. I mean, Jesus, like Brenda said, he left heaven mm-hmm. to be constrained by human constraints. Yep. <laughs> um, creator like be added to himself creation and um and then it says he took upon himself the form of a servant so same greek word as used before as being in the form of god morphe uh, he took upon himself for the form of a, a servant so here's this important doctrine that tommy talked about theologically the big name is hypostatic union god jesus was 100 percent god and 100 percent man mm-hmm. all at the same time yeah. how i don't know it's what scripture teaches. Right. I, I don't know how it's one God and three persons. Mm-hmm. That's what scripture teaches. Right. I remember they used to have a bumper sticker. It said, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. And really, you don't need that middle part. The Bible says it. That settles it. That's really what it is. Well, but you ought to believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's how we, we, we glorify and praise God is with our, our faith. But, um, so, but it's what is taught. And then it says, he was made in the likeness of men. So it's a different mm-hmm. word. Likeness. That's not form. Right. Not morphe. Morphe is in the same form, essentially the same as God. He took upon himself the form of a servant. Essentially, he was a suffering servant. But here it says he was made in the likeness of men. So it's a different Greek word because there is one big way that Jesus was different than other men. How was he different? He was God. Did he have a sin nature? No. That's a big is he was born of a virgin. Mm-hmm. So this big way he was in the likeness of men. He doesn't mean he wasn't a man. He's 100% right. God and 100% right, right. man. But I think God intentionally uses, he didn't use the word form again, the Greek word morphe. He says he was made in the likeness of men. He was born of a virgin. He was different because Jesus had no original sin. Mm-hmm. Like everybody from uh, Cain, Abel, Seth, to you and I here tonight, we yep. have. Yep. Um, Adam didn't have original sin. Eve didn't have it. They chose to sin. But ever since Adam and Eve did, we've, had, we've been born with a sin nature. Jesus wasn't. He was made in the likeness of men. And um, that was something necessary. That's why he had to be born of a virgin. Again, yeah. brain hurts. How does that happen? We're told the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Will, mm-hmm. will, will accomplish that mm-hmm. in Mary's life. And, um, but it was something that's necessary if he was going to be the perfect sinless sacrifice mm-hmm. to take away our sins by dying for us. Right. Which leads us to the greatest evidence. It's not just his incarnation, right? But as we said before, the greatest evidence for God's love for us is the crucifixion. And right. that's why Jesus was born. Mm-hmm. He was born to die for our sins. Look at verse 8. It says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Mm-hmm. Jesus humbled himself. And in loneliness of mind, he took upon himself the form of a servant as he's portrayed in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Mm -hmm. And um, he would suffer and die for us in our place. Now, Mm -hmm. really, is there any greater evidence of Christ's love for you? Mm. 
the incarnation and the crucifixion. Right. And that is really what you're talking about there and what we're, these verses here is really what the first advent was, tying it all back into advent mm. because he had to be born of a virgin and that was told all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Yeah. The seed of a woman all the way back in Genesis yeah. chapter 3. So advent, the first advent began right there in the garden when they were removed. Mm. Our promise. And they waited mm. 4,000 years for the first coming of Jesus Christ, and we have been waiting. And that's, that's what it is when we think about Advent is like remembering that there have been saints of old and, and Christians since Christ's resurrection and ascension that have all been waiting for that, con- that, that mm. final and ultimate completion of, of everything, of everything mm-hmm. when, when, when Christ comes again in the second Advent. So really this, this celebration of Advent has, has a tie all the way back through all of history people that have been waiting for the, for the same thing for and looking for it and coming. longing for his coming, yeah. So let's, we mentioned this verse earlier, and I just want to quickly go over to that passage, Romans 8. Let's turn there, and we'll come right back here at the end of Philippians, and we'll finish up. But just real quick, Romans chapter 8, and I, I want to look at a few verses here, and they're familiar to you, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, so I asked you that question, is there any greater evidence of Jesus' love for us than him coming uh, to live among us, being born, to die for us. His incarnation, his crucifixion. And, and no, there isn't. And that's why uh, God gives us and tells us this, this whole chapter is really about his love for us, especially the second half. But we're very familiar probably with Romans eight twenty eight. It's one of those like Lifeway kind of verses you got on coffee mugs and plaques. And, you yeah. know, it's such, so many people's favorite verse. What does Romans eight twenty eight say? We know. That all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Do we know that? Mm -hmm. Is it always easy to believe that? No. (laughs) Because sometimes life doesn't feel good or what we're going through right now doesn't feel good. And Mm -hmm. and we might think, well, God, there's probably some way and you always do work it together for good. But maybe I'm the one exception in this right here, right now. This Mm -hmm. might be the one time when it doesn't pan out. Romans 8, 28. Well, that's why God gives us Romans 8, 32. And I've Mm -hmm. shared this with you before. But um, look at what it says in Romans 8, 32. He, God that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Mm-hmm. And so do you see why this verse here is so important to Romans 8.28? Romans 8.28 is an awesome verse, right? But there are times when I think we, we can doubt Romans 8.28. We can doubt that God is able to or is going to work all things together for our good. We know God's love to us in the incarnation. We've studied it tonight. We've studied his love for us in the crucifixion. And dying for us. And so we want to believe Romans 8.28. But I think an even better verse is Romans 8.32. Because it gives like the structural support to Romans 8.28. Because when we doubt, God says this. Hey, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all thanks? So how is he not going to come through on what he's talking about earlier in Romans 8.28? And we can even extend that. Um, Yep. We can even extend that to the, the questions that are, what's the question there in verse 31? What shall we say then to these things? If God's for us, who can be against us? Mm-hmm. Well, Romans 8.32 answers that. Romans 8.32 answers the question in verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Mm-hmm. It answers the question in verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It answers the question in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And obviously the answer is 
No one. No one. <laughs> and nothing. Verse 32, he that spared not his own son, how will he not with him also freely give you all things? How is he not going to be what you all said he was, faithful and loving? He'll never fail to love you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that's what we're, we're taught yeah. here. And I think, Tommy, if you could just read verses 37 to 39 as a good reminder for us. He says, yep. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Woo! That's good stuff, ain't it? Mm -hmm. Nothing. Yep. There's nothing that can... Not even us. Not even our sin Mm -hmm. as Christians uh, can separate us from God's love that, that's yep. in Jesus Christ. And, and so when we think of Advent and seeing Jesus in Advent and, and love is the, the candle for the week or what we're commemorating right now, mm-hmm. we know God's love in Jesus Christ and we know it best. And uh, so in returning to Philippians 2, 1 through 8, um, Tommy mentioned that first word, if, if you have encouragement in Christ and if you have comfort in his love and if you have fellowship in the spirit and if you have tenderness and mercies and it's since mm-hmm. since you have all these things as a as a Christian um, since you know and you experience these effects of God's love for you in Christ well then we all need to have the mind of Christ so that we can we can be conduits of that of his love toward others mm-hmm. uh, when when you and I think like Jesus with a lowliness of mind and in humility and esteeming others better than ourselves, we're going to be able to live like Christ. We're going to be able yep. to love like Jesus Christ. Um, you know, if we did what those early Christians did that we talked about in the book of Acts, and we mm-hmm. loved like they did, where, where unbelievers were like, wow, look at how they love each other. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that played a significant role in, in people getting saved back then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when we were going through the book of Acts, I don't know about you, but I was like, man, I longed to see that kind of Holy Spirit power and people getting saved and turning from sin. And like, why don't we, why don't we see that? Like, we, is it possible that maybe we don't love like they did? And so the world doesn't see that testimony of a completely transformed people who, who have a lowliness of mind like Christ. They have a Christ-like mind, and so they're loving like Jesus and living like Jesus. How do we change that? Well, we have the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so we can love like him. And, and I yep. challenge you to go from we to me. Like, will you commit to that? And, um, you know, I, during this week ahead, ask God to convict and to challenge you. Say, Lord, I, help me to begin thinking like Jesus in my interactions with others so that I can begin loving like Jesus and, mm-hmm. and living like Jesus. Because, as Mike said earlier, we, we love him because he first loved, all because we have been loved by, by him. So, uh, yeah. I think a good challenge for us in this passage in Philippians. Mm-hmm. Anybody else have anything they wanted to add or God brought to your mind as we were going through this? 